0: So, uh, interesting story. Um, I didn't know until about three minutes ago that I was going to preach this morning. <laughs> we had plans. Uh, we made some really good plans, and really good sermon was prepared and preached in the ser- first service by, by Joshua Stuhlmiller, who's one of our pastors who has a house church in, in uh, San Marcos. And, and out of nowhere, he just got clobbered and it's like uh, he had um, like vertigo or something, and he could he had a hard time uh, staying upright. So, um, so we sent him home with his, you know, wife who's a nurse. So that's good. He's getting good uh, care from from her. And um, he was going to be preaching out of uh, Psalm 32, which is about confession, and. Um, I'm not going to preach on Psalm 32 about confession, but I am going to preach about confession from 2 Samuel chapter 12, which is something I did, uh, you know, a couple years ago, but you guys don't remember it anyway, so <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, um, pray, and then, then we'll read the text, and we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, you are so uh, good to us, you're so gracious to us. And we thank you that your word tells us that your kindness leads us to repentance. And so, Father, I pray that we would trust you and take you for your word and realize that we don't have to hide our face from you. We don't have to hide our hearts from you. We don't have to hide our sin from you. Your grace is what enables us to take our sins seriously, and you invite us to to bring it out into the light so that we can experience healing. And so, Father, I pray that you would convince us of that, and that is because of the gospel of who Jesus is and what he has done by living for the perfect life for us and dying for us and rising again to give us life in you so that you could see us perfectly clothed in your righteousness convince us of that this morning. And I pray that we would be able to look at our lives and look at the lives of others through the lens of that gospel. Be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I'll be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12 of verses one through 13. And it says this, the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest. Who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord the God of Israel I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into the arms and gave into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah and if this were too little I would add to you as much more why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight you have struck "'Down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, "'and you have taken his wife to be your wife "'and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. "'Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house "'because you have despised me "'and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. "'Thus says the Lord, "'Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house.' And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin." You shall not die. This is the word of the Lord. I'm sure you all have heard and you, people say, and you may have even said it yourself, that people never change, right? You look at a person's past and you can predict their future. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. You ever hear that? Have you ever said that? It is a total rejection of the Christian faith. It's a total denial of the existence of God. Now, it is true that many people, many people don't change, but it's not because they can't. It's because most don't know how change happens. And so we're looking at a case study here in this passage, a case study of change from the life of Of King David. Now, David at this point totally blew up his life. He had an affair with his friend's wife. She became pregnant in an attempt to cover it up. David had his friend, a loyal soldier in David's army, placed in a battle where the fighting was fiercest. And then he had the support pulled back so that his friend would be killed by the enemy. That was in chapter 11, and the time between chapter 11 and chapter 12 here is about one year, and over a period of one year, David said nothing about his sin to anyone, including God, and in Psalm 32, (laughs) David reflects on that year and what happened in chapter 11. 12. Looks like I'm preaching from Psalm 32 a little bit after all. And he writes this in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. This right here is despair. Everything is hanging by a thread. How in the world could he even still be King, I mean, how can he even look in the mirror and face his own reflection? But then there's a radical change. Reflecting on that, David says in the same chapter, chapter 32, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. What we see from his words right here is that he made it through. What we see right here is that his sin did not defeat him. And he came out a transformed person, a better person, a better leader. With everything that he did, how is that even possible? How did the change happen? Well, he tells us in verse 5. Of chapter 32. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. His transformation happened through confession, it happened through biblical confession. Now, there's two truths about that. One truth we learn from this story is that we all desperately need confession. It does not, okay, this is so incredibly practical. We all need confession. You know, we read this, and it might be easy for us to think, you know what? I have never done anything like David did. I never killed anyone. I never had an affair. You know, I haven't done this kind of stuff. And if that's what you are thinking, then you're missing the point. David is one of the greatest men in history. He is, rather, um, the, the Messiah is called the son of who? The son of David, Right? David had it all together. He was an artist, and he was a poet. He was a musician whose work has lasted for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. He was a leader. He was a righteous warrior, a man after God's own heart. No man was greater than David. So let me ask you, if David was capable of doing stuff like this, don't, think you, and I, don't you think you and I are? Are we better than David? It was through a lack of confession, a lack of searching his heart, examining his own heart. If he's capable of this, so are we. You know, I I highly doubt that people will be reading about me 3,000 years from now. Anyone here in this room, you would come close to David? I mean, look what he did. I mean, what, what was in his heart? We are all desperate to use confession. We're desperately in need of confession. Now, the other truth we see is this: that confession can change anyone. Confession can change anyone. Look at the change that it brought David. Some some of you, I, some of you have totally blown up your lives. And it's hard to face your own reflection or anybody else. As a pastor, I've heard some of the most devastating stories of people making a complete mess of their lives. But I've never heard anyone, anyone in all the people that I've talked to who made a worse mess of their lives than David here in this story. This is about as ugly as it gets. So if David changed, anybody can change, right? He blew up his life, but he came out singing. Psalm 51 is is David's confession of sin. And at the end of the psalm, David says, O Lord, open up my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. He is not only singing of God's mercy, but he is also singing of God's holiness, his righteousness, his justice. How in the world did he get there? It was confession. It was confession. Well, maybe you're thinking, you know what? Confession doesn't work for me. Whenever I tried, I came out feeling worse. Have you ever been there? We try confession, but you end up feeling worse. If confession has not led us to joy, if if confession has only brought you discouragement, if confession has not changed you and kept you from falling back into the same old things all over again, then you haven't truly confessed. Anyone can change, including you, including me. Now this chapter right here is the turning point in David's life. What what is involved in confession? I see four essentials when it comes to confession. And first, confession means that you see your sin. You face your sin. You acknowledge your sin. You don't cover it up. You don't sweep it under the rug. You don't justify it. You don't put a positive spin on it. You see your sin. Nathan came to David and he said, there was a rich man had a huge number of sheep and cattle, and a poor man, only one little lamb, which was like a daughter to him. But when the rich man wanted to prepare a meal, instead of taking one of his own sheep, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and slaughtered it. David burned with anger against the man, and he said that that man deserves to die. Then, in verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are that man. For the first time, David finally sees his sin. And out of God's grace, God brought Nathan into David's life to help him see it for a loving diagnosis. Now, I'm sure there was a sense in which David saw his sin before, but he wasn't seeing it clearly. He wasn't facing up to it. Why? Because sin is deceitful. It is deceitful. Our sin makes us blind to our sin. Now, let's say your vision starts to go. And so, you go to an eye doctor. He examines your eyes, and he says, you have cataracts. And you look in the mirror, and you say, no, I don't. I can't see any cataracts. You know why you can't see your cataracts? It's Because you have cataracts. Sin is spiritual cataracts. It blinds you to the existence in you. But unlike cataracts, sin magnifies the sin of others. This is amazing. When David heard the story about the man who took the lamb, he burned with rage because he could clearly see somebody else's sin. Jesus makes the same point when he says, you see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but you can't see the log in your own eye. You can't see the log in your own eye because you have your log in your own eye. So if you're thinking, what's all this sin talk? You know, I'm not that bad. Guess what? Here's the deal. None of us think we are that bad. I don't. Not as bad as I I really am. But if sin really is as bad as the Bible says, then one of the things it's going to do is make you think that you're really not that bad, okay? No, no, time out. I'm not trying to crush you with, like, guilt and and all that. I'm, I'm, I'm presenting a loving diagnosis, okay? So that we can experience the healing. But we have to face it, And see the problem before we can receive healing. Now, if you're thinking, man, I sure wish so-and-so was here so they could hear this message. Guess what? (laughs) Sin blinds us to our own sin, magnifies the sin of others. So this is for you. And it's for me. So then how can we see our sin? Like David, we need two things. First of all, we need the word of God. And second of all, we need the people of God. The Nathans in our life help us understand the word of God. And the word of God enables us to see our sin. So, my question for you this morning is, who are you regularly taking in the word of God with? Who are the Nathans in your life? Have you reached out to anybody to be a Nathan in your life? You desperately need it. Nobody is above that kind of need, not even King David. My encouragement to you is seek them out. Seek them out. Life-changing confession means that you see your sin. Second, if you're taking notes in the handout that you didn't have. Own your sin. Own your sin. See your sin, own your sin. Biblical confession involves taking responsibility for our sin, verse 13, verse thirteen, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah, I sinned, but. Yeah, I sinned, but if, if they did this, or if they didn't do that, or if I had this or that or the other thing, no ifs, ands, or buts. Now, no doubt, before Nathan showed up, No doubt before Nathan showed up, David had rationalized to himself. Sure, Uriah died, but the sword of the Ammonites did it. I didn't kill him. Stuff happens. We could all die in battles at some point. Or so maybe I shouldn't have, you know, taken Bathsheba, but I'm a king. I'm under incredible pressure, guys. I need her to survive this job. Or I know she wasn't my wife, but she makes me feel so alive. If Uriah was more of a man, maybe he could have given her what she needed. Just justifying. I don't know what he thought, but he was justifying it. And so God, through Nathan, said to David, You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And finally, David owns up to his sin. I have sinned against the Lord. I take full responsibility. No excuses. I can't blame it on the pressures of being king. I cannot blame it on on the Ammonites. I cannot blame Bathsheba. I wanted to do it. I decided to do it. I did do it. I own it. That's confession. You know, I've come to realize that our confessing hinges on one very weak word. But, forgive me for losing my temper, but that's just the way I was raised. Oh my gosh, I've heard that a billion times. You can justify almost anything by saying, but that's just the way I was raised. Forgive me for cheating, but everyone else is cheating, it's not a big deal. Forgive me from complaining, but I do all the dirty work around here and no one says thank you. Forgive me for having a short fuse, but you don't understand, I'm under a lot of pressure. What a lot of people think is confessing is actually complaining. Confessing is not explaining your sin. Confessing is owning your sin with no buts. You know, the Bible has a very high view of individual freedom and responsibility. The Bible recognizes that, that we are influenced by various conditions, heredity, upbringing, circumstances. But know this, conditions are not causes, right? Conditions are not causes it's so incredibly important for us to hear and you might right now think that I'm talking about somebody else I'm not I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me so often we don't see our own sin because of the conditions just you don't understand the circumstances I'm under if they would just do this, then I would do that. If they wouldn't do this, then I wouldn't do that. We do this all the time. We need to realize we are fully responsible for our own actions. Not my parents. Not, my, not, not church people. Not church leaders. Not what others did or did not do. You own it. You own it. So, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Do you find yourself just maybe pulling away from God or pulling away from the church or, or pulling away for God's call on your life and justifying it? Blaming something else or blaming someone else? My encouragement to you, in the power of the gospel, to own it. You'll find freedom on the other side of this confession. Own it. Third, confession means it involves softening your heart. Softening your heart. The reason that that many people feel worse after confession than before is because having seen their sin and owned their sin, they then beat themselves up with God's law. <laughs> I know a thing or two about that in my own life. But that's a wrong use of the law. The law is meant to graciously show us our sin. And realize this, also, the law cannot change you. The law cannot change you. The law never changed anybody, ever. We act so much like it, so much preaching is done that way. Thinking that the law... Saves you. Okay, maybe it doesn't save you, but it sanctifies you, changes you. No, it doesn't. The law does not do that. The law is meant to show us our sin. The law cannot change you. Only God's love can change you. His sacrifice, can, sacrificial love can change you. I'll explain that. When God confronts David, he doesn't crush David's heart with the law. He softens David's heart with his love. God says in verse 7, I anointed you king, I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? You Notice what's interesting here is is when God confronts David, David does not start with, David, I clearly told you, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but you did. And I clearly told you, thou shalt not murder, but you did. David, you broke the law now. Of course, that's 100% true, isn't it? And it's relevant. It's important. It matters. But God didn't start with that. He reminds David of how he poured out his love. How could you despise my love? I mean, what, wasn't My love enough? Aren't I enough? What more did you want? Why didn't you just ask me? Now, we've all heard this language before, right? A spouse gets cheated on and says something like, says to their spouse who cheated on them, look how much I loved you. What more could I do? If there was something else that you wanted, why didn't you just ask me? I mean, I would have given it to you. You have despised my love. You have despised me. It's not just that you've broken the rules. You've broken my heart. This is what God's saying to David. Why? Because God doesn't want to crush David. He wants to change David. He wants to change his heart. So God is going after the sin beneath the sin. Not just all the behavioral stuff right here. That's that's toxic fruit for sure. But he's going for the sin under the sin. Using the law alone makes you feel worse. And using love can be just as devastating, but then it heals you. The very thing that convicts you restores you. I think that's one of the reasons that that we don't like confession because it's painful sometimes. Sometimes. But what convicts you is what restores you. In Psalm 51, we have David's confession, and he says to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. But time out one second. Why does he say against you and you only have sinned? Didn't he also sin against Bathsheba, Uriah, his family, his nation? Yes, and David knows that. But here he, con- the, he is confessing the sin beneath the sin. David realizes that before the physical adultery there was spiritual adultery. He had trampled on and spit on the love of God. He totally ignored, totally forgot God's unfailing love. He was looking to something other than God for his satisfaction in life. David's heart was made miserable, not through fear, but through mercy. And when that happens, you confess not just sinful behavior, but the sin beneath the sin. The sin of thinking and acting as if God's love is not enough. Thinking as if God had not given you enough. Demanding more. So, what's involved in confession? See your sin, own your sin, and soften your heart, and then forth, believe God's promise. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And God says to David through Nathan, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. What's that mean? Put away your sin. Put away your sin has a very specific meaning. God is saying, I don't see it. Not anymore. It has been taken out of my sight therefore I forgive you therefore I'm not holding it against you therefore I am no longer treating you as a condemned man I have taken your sin away from my eyes You are not going to die, he says. Since your sin has been taken away, I will not punish your sin since I no longer see your sin and I will not give you the punishment that you deserve. I will not make you pay. What if David did get what he deserved? What would he lose? He would lose his life. He would lose his kingship. He would lose his relationship with God and his mission in life. And what was his mission in life? His mission in life was to bear the family line from which the Messiah would be born. God had promised David, from you will come one who will save the world. The promise had been given before to Adam and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And in 2 Samuel 7, God says to David, from you will come the promised one. Through your descendants will come one who will save the world. He will be one of your offspring. I will be his father. He will be my son. And his throne will last forever. You are going to bear the family line through which I bring the Messiah. Therefore, I'm not giving you what you deserve, you are not going to die. How can God do that after everything that David has done? How can David blow up his life the way that he did and then simply confess his sin and be forgiven? That seems way too easy, right? How can an all-holy and just God let David off the hook like that? I mean, It is hard to imagine a sin more serious than David's. But as soon as David confessed it, God forgives him. God can do that. Because he sees David's descendant. Because he sees the Messiah. Because he saw his son Jesus. And he saw him live a perfect life of obedience, then go to the cross and die for David's sin, for my sin, and for your sin. When God says to us, I have put away your sin, where did he put it? He put it on his son. He got what we deserve so that we get what he deserved. When God looks at all those who trust in his son, he sees us clothed in the perfect righteousness of his son, and so when we confess our sin, God forgives because justice was served on the cross. This is how we change. You see your sin, your own your sin, soften your heart, and believe God's promise. No matter how badly you have blown up your life, no matter how dark things seem right now, you can be forgiven. Your failure and your heart can be transformed. You can be changed. The Apostle Paul says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the sin of imperfect, messed up confession. We never fully see our sin. We never fully own our sin. We never fully soften our hearts. We never fully believe God's promise. But if we confess on the basis of the blood of Christ, then God must forgive and he will every time and gladly do so because God has promised and God does not lie amen amen would you bow your heads with me